Capital of the world. It's the TC Martin Show. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. Wiggins a three pointer. Puts it in. A 15 point lead with 143 to play. The Warriors are ready to celebrate. The Dr. TC Martin launches. The doctor is now in. Hour number two. Oh, yes. Here on this uh, terrible Tuesday edition, our terrible Tuesday takes. You can go back and listen to that anytime at tcmartinshow.com. Go check out the website. Our NBA preview is up there, starting with the play-in tournament. We look forward to, to that, I guess, tonight. Does this really make a difference? Do people really want to watch us? Are the ratings really going to... You know, get better for this. No, wait till the Warriors play. All right, wait till the Warriors play. Wait till the Bucks are playing. All right, Chuck Esposito. Chuck Esposito will join us a little bit later on in the hour from Red Rock Casino. Talk to Chuck about the betting aspects of all of that and a whole lot more. And I am looking forward to the Warriors and the Kings starting this weekend. That'll be fun. All right, let's uh, get back to it here. And we were talking a lot about the Masters last week leading up to it. Uh, touched upon uh, it yesterday, but uh, we can't officially be done with the Masters. And we talked to our golf guru himself, our PGA Tour <laughs> producer extraordinaire, Scott Savloff, who is glued to his seat, uh, you know, in his uh, beautiful Palisades ranch mansion over there uh, in San Diego, uh, watching the Masters. What's going on, my friend? All is good. How about you, TC? Did, did you get to watch any of it? I did get to watch some of it. Kind of a busy weekend for me, but yes, I did, uh, especially Sunday, uh, get a chance uh, to watch everything. But man, it was uh, it was crazy when we talk about the weather. I mean, we go from you know fifty one degrees to you know then we get the rain, uh, we get the wind, and then we were looked pretty decent there the last you know couple hours last few hours i guess on sunday but uh wow craziness to see golfers that have to can uh you know compete for 30 holes you know in a day i don't know man a, a little bit crazy but uh a lot of great sidebar stories that we'll talk about but uh give me your thoughts scott is uh you watched uh four and a half days of the masters <laughs> well you know as an asu alum I'm feeling pretty good, you know, saying John Rahm won. You know, I mean, you got uh, arguably one of the nicest guys out there, one of the most well-respected. Uh, and it was a great, I, I think, the way he was a tacticianer on the course really showcased that he's just not all about power, right? You know, here's a guy who can hit it as long as anybody, uh, yet most of his strokes that he picked up were just strategy shots where, you know, Brooks made, you know, some mistakes, I think some some bad breaks uh, that just didn't fall his way, uh, and John Rom didn't make any mistakes. He just kept plugging away and made for great TV, great finish, and we, we talked last about what will happen to address the live tour. And here you go. Three of the top 10 guys live tour, you know, names. Uh, you had a slim Jim, another fellow ASU guy, <laughs> Phil Mickelson, right? He lost what? 25 pounds going into the masters and, uh, great showing for him. Great showing, uh, why they need to figure out how to get the live guys back with the tour guys to make this brand better. That, that's, that's my point. John Rahm, 12 under par, um, phenomenal. Uh, especially, you know, the way he started 
You know, going back to the first hole where what, what didn't he didn't he four putt? I think uh, in hole number one of uh, the very first hole, and then uh, what we saw from yeah, and he blamed Saturday it on and Zach Sunday. Ertz. Yeah, how about that? He blames <laughs> his four putt on Zach Ertz. It's like where, where'd that guy do? Drop a couple of balls or something? What on earth could you be blaming Zach Ertz? You tell in the math. You tell me. What are we talking? We're, we're, we're blaming a tight end. That, that's what he did. He said it was. He got a text from Zach Ertz. My, my thing is. Hey, John, put your freaking phone away. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't be looking at your phone. What are you doing? If, if Zach Ertz's text is going to freak you out and make you four-putt, good luck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Talk about Rom, though. I mean, it's, this, it's phenomenal. I mean, $13.3 million so far this season. So far this season. And, and four outings. I mean, he's won, won four uh, tournaments already. Uh, you know, he's knocking on the door of Scotty Scheffler, who made 14 million last year, which was a record. I mean, it is, it is phenomenal. I mean, just talk a little bit about this guy, especially for people that haven't watched him on a regular basis. From a perspective, I mean, you're seeing a guy dominate just like Tiger dominated, you know, in that 2000 through 2005 window. Rom, when he's in the tournament, he expects to win. And that was very Tiger-esque. When, if you remember, when Tiger was in the tournament in his prime, I don't care what's going on, you expected him to win the tournament. And right now, I can't think of anybody who's more dominant than John Rom. And he's got that power game. He looks like a linebacker, right? He gets out there. And he just attacks the golf course, but he uses strategy on every hole, everything he's doing. And it gives you a great testament to watching. He's not the best drive driver of the ball. He's not the best iron player. He's not the best putter, but he doesn't do any of those things poorly. He's got great hands in the sand game. He is a great golfer, period. Scotty Scheffler is a great golfer. Rom has that mental toughness that is more tigress than anybody I've seen in a long time. Talk about Brooks Kepka in, in the collapse that we saw. I mean, losing what eight strokes in, in, in the final two rounds. Uh, you touched a little bit about what you saw from him, Scott, but uh, were you expecting that? Because what we saw from him in the first two rounds looked uh, downright spectacular. But man, as, as the tournament uh, went on, he just got tighter and tighter and just couldn't control anything, it seemed like. To me, it seemed like his driver failed him. We're, we're, when Brooks Kepka was winning his majors, he was so long off the tee, but he was down the middle, right? You never really had to see him do out shots and all the stuff that we wind up doing, but he did. I mean, he hit some amazing shots, but you can't win the Masters if you're perpetually, and he was left, if my memory is right, he was left a considerable amount over those 30 holes. And I don't, I don't know what happened, whether it was a bad break or he was expecting the wind. I don't know what he was doing, but he, he was in the trees a heck of a lot where Rom was right down the middle or making shots, uh, real precise shots. And it's so hard to win on that golf course where, you know, like you said, with weather, with wind, with conditions, you can't fool around and be all over the place. And that's what Brooks, you know, it just looked like, you know, maybe he tightened up um, playing that front round in the morning. Maybe that that's what did him in where, you know, with his normal routine, maybe, you know, there's a lot of maybes with, with, with Brooks, you know, maybe he should have, maybe he shouldn't have. Uh, he didn't look like he was loose and had a game plan between his morning round and then that afternoon final round. And Rom was ready. And at the end of the day, he answered the bell. Scott Savlafa joins us talking, uh, recapping the Masters from the weekend. Uh, the ratings were up. 12 million viewers watched the final round on Sunday. That's up 19% from last year. We saw you know Scotty Scheffler do his thing. 
that's that's a really really good sign for golf, don't you think? Especially for its marquee tournament to have you know ratings up like that and twelve million people have those eyeballs on it. Very very impressive. Well, it, it also is a sign of the times. If you have the the best field, which is what Augusta had, they have. We haven't seen a field that good since uh, the British Open last year. Because after the British Open, it's when Cam Smith and all the guys uh, that went to Live Tour, they disappeared. And I don't care what anybody said, you know, you need to have quality players in every tournament. And I think the testament is great golf course. People want to watch Augusta. People love seeing these guys have to play in in all kinds of weather and wind and and what have you. And at the same time, that leaderboard was very strong. It, it had an amateur player in there who is a great kid, just looked like a real kid, playing way over his skis, but he played exceptionally well. And it was a, a an amazing leaderboard, which is what I keep saying. The PGA Tour can't afford to have these tournaments like the Honda Classic where there's one guy or maybe two guys. You need a full field, big names every week. You know, and how much of this, Scott, is the golf course itself? Okay, the lure of Augusta, the history behind it, and let's be honest. I mean, when CBS is promoting this or when anybody's promoting it, they're talking more about the course. And to me, it's kind of similar. I'm trying to think throughout sports, and you're all around sports guy like myself, you know, where the venue maybe carries more of the weight as the star, like the Rose Bowl, for example. All right. We might not be that in tune to the matchup. And last year's Rose Bowl is a perfect example where you had Utah, you know, in there again. But it's like, no, I want to watch the Rose Bowl. I know it's going to be great weather for the most part. I'm going to see the green grass. I'm going to see, you know, the, the, the painting of the end zones and the sidelines. And then you're going to get those, you know, tree shots from the outside. And then you get that, you know, with Augusta year in and year out. Now, whether it's because it's, it's early on in the golf season, it's in the spring for a lot of the country, it's, you know, winter changing into, to spring. I don't know. But for me, it just seems like that the course, the venue is the star. And I think we can only say that maybe about maybe less than a handful of, of uh, events like this. I only, you know, this is my opinion. I believe that people tune in to see Augusta and it's the, it, it's just like watching opening day in baseball. It's, it's really the start of spring. It's for, for a golf enthusiast, it is really the official, you know, the whistle blows like in the Flintstones and you're ready to get out there and go play. And I, I look at it as what great history. Where, where it gets a little long in tooth is when they perpetually show, you know, you know, these guys, uh, you know, they reminisce a lot. What I'd love to see more of is the inner workings, the inner things at Augusta National. Like they have the best wine cellar maybe on the planet. And I kid you not, it's because all the, you know, this is where, the things that I love about Augusta when I've been there and I've been fortunate to see these things, right? If you walk around, it's like a museum, like it's a sports museum. It's like, you know, there's a golf hall of fame in, in Florida, but if you really want to go to a golf hall of fame, get invited to Augusta national walk in that clubhouse. That's the hall of fame. It's that's what Augusta really is. It's the event to win. If you're a tour player, you, you want to win Augusta because you're invited for the rest of your life. You know, you're not invited. The PGA Championship, you know, doesn't have that kind of sizzle. The U.S. Open is great, but it doesn't have that kind of ambiance like Augusta. But I'm telling you, you win Augusta as a tour player, you're invited for life. You got your jacket there. You, you, you keep your wine. It's a, 
who's who at the membership down there. Uh, it's an amazing experience. And I think that the people love watching it. Uh, there's not, there's no golf course in better condition. I mean, that tree fell down, PC. <laughs> it, it seemed like they had Oompa Loompas jump out of there, you know, Willy Wonka and, and, and those Oompa Loompas came racing out. They blew, they, they had guys blowing the leaves away and then they chopped that tree up and it was gone in no time. That's a go. You know, when you, you say this, it's the, like opening day, spring, and all that stuff, right? I'm with you. And it's like what I said, comparing it to the Rose Bowl, it, it's Augusta. But would it have that same feeling if it was the first major and you were playing in Tallahassee? I don't think no. it would have the same, no. the same thing. Or if it was the Bridgestone or whatever it is. It's, it's because of that course. Or say we had the Masters and it was like the U.S. Open where you're rotating it around or whatever. I don't think it'd be, it, it wouldn't have that same feel. It wouldn't have that must see TV, that sort of thing. And again, I think you're right. The Masters has it all. It is the perfect package. And it's too bad that we can't have more of that because the, the closest second, Scott, is St. Andrews. And we don't always play the British Open there. I mean, that's a, a, rota- no, that's, a, a rotation that's, thing, right? Yeah. It's like once every 10 years. Right. So, you know, you're, you're missing out on all of these things. I mean, Go ahead, name for me, if you don't look it up, name for me where the PGA Championship is in, in May. Most people don't even know it's in May. Yeah, right, yeah. correct. Yeah, we think it was some of us old school guys still think it's in September, you know? Or, 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 or August. I mean, it, it moved around. I said, oh, let's move it to May. And then, you know, go ahead, name the course. Yeah. It's, it's a challenge there. The British Open, people in the U.S. love it because it's our dream to go over with a group of guys or with your dad or whatever. And you go over to play in Ireland or Scotland. And it just captures your imagination of wanting to go over and experience that together. That's why you get up early in the morning and you watch the British open. But to your point, you know, there's only one Augusta national. Uh, it's always in the top five golf courses in the world. Every year, bar none. And, you know, they have a major there, and it's just the most uh, compelling thing. That's, you know, the interesting thing. John Rahm probably made, you know, people ask me, you know, how much did Rahm win at Augusta? You know, the purse is one thing. He probably gets a bonus from Callaway, from whomever he's with, probably a million dollars for each of his sponsors for winning at Augusta because the ratings they know by winning that event, it's the biggest event of the year. Let's talk a little bit about Phil Mickelson. I mean, 10 under that's really just as important a story as the way Rom played, uh, maybe even bigger Uh, again, 10 under par two strokes off of winning the masters, the oldest runner up in masters history is this a thing that it was a one-off or was it because Phil knows that course so well or what, what do you, how do you account for Phil Mickelson playing so well, especially in rounds three and four? I'm of the belief he knows the golf course. Well, he's won there. What? Three times. So, uh, the pressure is off him too. Uh, he, he loses 25 pounds. No, he, no one's talking about Phil Mickelson because he just don't want to. And he is so under the radar that he could just play his game without anybody even noticing it. And all of a sudden, you start seeing the crowd cheering for him. Um, and it, it, it was like, it wasn't like, you know, anybody was even thinking he had a shot. Now, I'll make a comment. Last year's runner-up was Rory McIlroy. Rory was so out of it, if you remember. All of a sudden, he's charging, uh, but Scotty Scheffler ran away with it. Right. So people look at it and go, oh, you know, Rory had an amazing ground. Well, he had no pressure on him. When you have no pressure on you, 
you're playing a completely tight, free game of golf. And, and that's, that's what it comes down to. Playing loose, playing easy. No one's bothering you. No one's really talking about you. You didn't see Phil get interviewed. So to me, that guy had no pressure on him. And he was mentally and physically ready to play. And he just played outstanding golf, which, you know, at that golf course, if you know what you're doing and you can, you know, roll the ball well, which Phil has always been able to do, uh, it's no surprise that he went low. Uh, I think the the real surprise is that everybody else was choking around him. Hmm. 19 years ago today. Phil Mickelson won his uh, first Masters in 2004. Think about that. April 11th. Little first, 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 major, amazing, first major tournament win. It, it's amazing when you watch it. Like Scotty Scheffler played a very consistent, um, he, he's not a big emotional guy on the course. He's very, very much you could root for him, right? Because he just seems like, you know, a nice guy. Um, there are guys that just play their game. There's no, you know, nothing flashy. That's kind of what you wanted Brooks Kepka for, because Brooks Kepka can bring you that kind of firepower and emotion. He's got the drama of his game. And, and I was, for one, thrilled that Brooks Kepka was in the field and charging for a win, which, which candidly would have made a great story if he won. Then there's Tiger. I mean, people s- still say, well, you know, that's must see TV, you know, Tiger Woods making the cut or whatever. I mean, I don't think that really had much to do with the 12 million viewers that tuned in uh, on Sunday. But what did you think of Tiger? He did make the cut. Okay. So he continues on with, uh, what, you know, 23 straight with that. But uh, what did, what did your eyeballs see from Tiger? You know, the most amazing thing is I was astounded how he put that beanie over his cap <laughs> and can pull that off. Because for me, I, I can't get my hats to stay on my head that way. Yeah. So that was that was an amazing feat in itself. But what I saw was something very sad. You know, that that's the kind of weather that he has to avoid, right? Because any any way you look at it, it takes him hours to get prepared for a good weathered round of golf and to get out there and play in the cold and the rain. It, it just made it, I cringed watching him swing and walk. And, you know, it, it, at some point he's got to face the, the, the music that he's going to just have to wait for the champions tour where he can use a golf cart. And, being like break couples and the, you know, relaxing, gets out of the golf cart and plays well, you know, at 63, um, you know, on the champions tour, that's, that's what Tiger has to wait for right now. It, it's a shame. Uh, but I don't think his body's going to let him play four rounds of golf, um, in, in a champions, uh, form again. I, I just can't imagine that at Augusta or at any of the majors where it's just so much pressure on your body. Well, Scott, you know, it, it's a shame. You know why you have so much b- trouble keeping your hat on, don't you? It's because I have hair. Well, well I have hair. Well, not not only that. I mean, but because you take the tag off. <laughs> I, I I agree that that is something to bear in mind. <laughs> You know, but I'm telling you. got to keep the tag on. Keep that tag on. Get some salsa dancing. That's what you got to do. I, I, I agree. As a seven footer Uh, would tell you. uh, Yes, he would. I'm telling you right now, you go ahead, try to take a baseball cap, put it on, and then take a beanie and try to position on your head and then try to swing and hit a golf ball. It is not easy. To keep that on the, on your head like that, that was astounding to me. I can only compare it to trying to put a, a hat on while I'm doing my show with the headphones on. It's virtually impossible to do. You can't do it. And some people like to put the hat on and headphones over the top for that look. 
But no, I, I want to try to put the hat on over the headphones. It's virtually impossible, just like what you're talking about. I think Tiger could do both. He probably could. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a remarkable thing. Maybe Joe LaCava's caddy had something to do with it. But it, it just, you know, when you saw him on the range, I got to tell you, he was cringing on the range. Where You know, I, I, I think they were zooming in on Rom warming up. And you saw Tiger right next to him. And Tiger had, you know, the rain gear on. You saw him cringing. So that's the sad part. You knew this was going to happen because it just looked like his body just was failing him from the moment that weather turned. You know, finally here, you talked about the the live tour and having those guys be relevant on the leaderboard. So what was our, our final live tour count? Um, where, you know, th- where they placed here? I mean, how many did we get in the top 10? Three. There you go. Three. All right. And, and Cam Smith really did not have a great tournament. He would have been a guy you would have thought would have, you know, uh, charged in there. And, but yet it was, Phil Mickelson, who everyone counted out. Look, you can look it up. I can't tell you how many people have written Phil off over the last year saying, you know, that oh, the, the Saudis probably wish they didn't give him all that money. Uh, you know, he doesn't play up to up to snuff anymore. He's not interested anymore. And here, he was the best thing. Uh, he and Brooks Kepler were the two best things for the live tour because those guys were relevant. They had a chance to win. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, it, it, yeah, I saw that somebody sent me a, a, a joke said, uh, uh, Brooks Kepka, you know, was so used to winning, uh, 54 holes. He forgot that there was 18 more to play. That's, that's why he, he, you know, he didn't win the last 18. But at the, but the end of the day, you know, the PGA Tour needs those names, and they need those quality names to make good TV. All right, speaking of good TV, I didn't think that we would uh, – you're falling right in the seven-footers' footsteps here. I mean, we got a Flintstones reference today, a Willy Wonka yeah. reference. You even use the term long in the tooth, you know, like saber tooth. You know, there you go. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, you scare me. You scare me that you're you're getting up early in the morning, you're watching TV land like the big seven-footer. He sends me pictures of cartoons. It's getting a little frightening. <laughs> and he – you know, his stuff, his references of things like the Jetsons are becoming quite frightening. You know, next thing you know, he's going to have like his little Apple Jacks for breakfast yeah. or Cheerios like like his five-year-old uh, grandsons. Yeah, this is getting scary for me. Now, remember, did I tell you last week when he sent me the picture at seven uh, 7.07 in the morning, he was watching The White Shadow? Did I tell you that? The- yeah. yeah, he I sent got me the picture of the white. Picture. Yeah, you, you got the same thing. There it is. I mean, there we go. We got Coolidge, we got Hayward, we got Thorpe, and then when I had him on, I think we went about fifteen minutes talking about the White Shadow and everything else. There was no sports in that. There's no at sports. All. Yeah, I mean, Numchuk played Dragnet when we came out of the break, and he wanted to break down the the Dragnet uh, uh, theme. There, there it is. But uh, I'll say this with Scott Savloff, uh, we're going to go out with the the show that you brought up. There you go. You mentioned the whistle. There it is. Here it comes. Are you Fred or Barney? That's what I want to know. There you go, Scott. I mean, this is all you. I can tell right early in the morning. Uh, hey, I'm right there. If, if my center can watch it, I'm going to watch it. <laughs> All right, my friend. We'll let you get back to watching Willy Wonka this afternoon. I appreciate the time. I always love talking golf with you, my friend. And uh, we can't wait uh, to the next major. Uh, who knows when it is or where it is or the time of year because it's all, you know, since COVID, everything's got uh, got messed around here. Who knows? And the same thing with the Kentucky Derby. You know, who knows? Is that, is, is that the first Saturday in May? It's supposed to be. But uh, in the Preakness, they messed that up, too. Jeez. 
Thanks, TC. You're the best. Take care, brother. Appreciate it. There he is. All right, Numchuck, you wanted to play the B-52s version? Is that what you're saying? Oh, I was so willing to. I well, wanted go to ahead. S- we can, uh, I have no idea what you're going to play, but you're trying to tell me that the B-52s made a song out of the Flintstones? Now, was it an actual hit? or? I think what this? it was was for the movie. The, the, oh, the, the, the live movie? action movie. Oh, I, I do remember this. I think I do remember it's this. It's Meet the Flintstones, so I mean, it's, it should be. Yeah, and you've never heard it though. We got a little remix. That's B 52s. You can hear that. Yeah. You can hear it in it. Yeah. I just wanted to go. Love Shock. Bye bye. So it's funny. On the soundtrack, they are known as the BC 52s. Very nice. Alright, we come back. We're going to get a couple of Brontosaurus burgers and go to Sportsbook. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. The doctor is now in, in, in. Uh, We go from the Flintstones to almost sounds like a bad version of Carlos Santana. I figured we'd go salsa dancing real quick. Herb Albert, Tijuana Brass. Salsa dancing. I go with that. There it is. Alright, let's go to the sports book where I'm I'm sure that this is playing in Chuck Esposito's office. I'm sure they, you know, that's oh, about happy hour right now. Chuck probably has some chips and some salsa, some tequila, some beverages. You know, maybe on Mondays he goes margaritas with this music in the background. I have no idea. Chuck Esposito, my man over at Red Rock. What is going on there behind the scenes? Man, you're, you're teasing me a bit there. I mean, the, the margarita, the chips and salsa, all, all sound terrific, T. It does, doesn't it? Doesn't it? You know how we, we do with food, Chuck? I mean, come on now. Uh, there's certain, I know you're a there's, foodie. There's, there's, there's priorities, my friend, you know? There are priorities. Sometimes sports has to take a back seat to food. <laughs> I guess it does, buddy. I guess it does. But, they, you know, sports and food, they... They they work well together, I'll say. Mm, you got that right. You do. All right. What's your go-to, Chuck? When you're like, say, you're off, you're at home, you're not working, you're enjoying, <laughs> you're you're enjoying a game. Okay. And whether it's, it was the Cubs or the Blackhawks or your Sunday football, the Bears. Okay. Say Chuck Espies is, is at home. What is your go-to snack or meal? Snack or meal? Yeah. Man. See, this is weird for him, I'll tell you right now, because he's always at the book. He's always working at these major events, yeah. right? Yeah, I'm not I'm not real picky. Whatever, you know, whatever's whatever's around, I'm 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 good to go with, especially if there's a game on. I'm I'm excited about the game and you know, sweating who we need and uh, and watching and uh, you know, I'm I'm pretty easy as far as that goes, buddy. You're, okay, you're pretty versatile is what you're telling me with the food. Yeah, right? chips and salsa are good, mixed yeah. nuts are good, <laughs> cheese and crackers are good. I mean, you you can kind of name it, and I'm good depending on what I'm enjoying as a beverage to go hand in hand. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of options out there, buddy. Yeah. Isn't it a sin to eat cheese? While watching the Bears, Ooh. <laughs> that I'm always here, so I am not eating cheese while I'm watching the Bears because I can't eat anyway because I'm too busy yelling at the screen. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, it, it would definitely be a sin, no question at all. Oh, too funny, too funny. All right, so we were just talking Masters, uh, Chuck. Uh, how was the Masters betting at the book? It was phenomenal, guys. Uh, overall handle was terrific. There was so many different things to wager on that it is, you know, by far the Super Bowl of golf with all the different options and, and you know, readjusting the odds after every round. Um, I can tell you that there was a lot of action on Brooks, and we were clearly rooting against him. I think not only, um, you know, our company, but I think industry-wide, uh, you know, coming in at, you know, I think anywhere from 65 to 85 to 1 throughout the industry, um, he got pounded. So when Rom won, there was a lot of kind of smiley faces on our side of the counter. 
Um, so we clearly were not rooting for Mickelson or Brooks to win the Masters. Chuck, is golf, you know, even though it might not do incredible volume except for you know the Masters and maybe some majors, but is that usually a really big winner for the house? You know, when it, when it comes to that, because again, I mean, you're, you're you're paying off the winner. I know there's some there's some other you know prop bets and exotics and that and that sort of thing. But for the most part, I mean, aren't most people just you know they're they're picking a guy or two or five or ten or whatever? So how does that usually come out for the books? Yeah, I, mean, I think it's a, a good winner. I, I think what I will say, T, is that um, it's probably one of the um, the fastest growing wagering sports that we have that there's so many different um, wagering options now on the menu that it gets a lot more people involved and the readjusting of the odds. And, you know, the majors are the majors. We, we know that and we know what they, what they draw. But, I mean, again, I know I date myself when I say this, but, I mean, you, you have to remember going back, you know, probably 15 years, I mean, it was just booking the majors and just booking a few, you know, NASCAR races and not putting up things like we do today where you're not only putting up every single event, but you're adding to those events um, every single year. You're pushing that envelope. You're you're being more creative. You're adding more and more options, um, you know, both in the book and on the app, and especially the app. I think the app has changed things so dramatically that it gives you that opportunity to offer so many more things that are appealing to the guests. And with golf, I think it is just springboarded golf to be an unbelievable kind of handle sport um, from our side of the counter. Is there such a thing as a field bet anymore? Because as you remember back in the day, you'd have a field bet, but the, again, now you're listing probably 80 golfers, right? Yeah, there still is. Um, I'm not always a big fan of the field bet as much because I like being able to put up um, you know, every golfer, as, or as many as we possibly can. And I think that holds true in all sports. You know, we kind of talked about it with the college basketball tournament, you know, being able to to add some of those smaller schools up there. So I think it means more to a guest who can walk in and say, you know, give me a ticket on Florida Atlantic or give me a ticket on Howard or give me a ticket on Drexel. More than a field bet that your ticket just says field and you're getting everybody but the top, you know, uh, 50 teams at that point. So um, I'm a big supporter of being able to list all the golfers or players, and I'm not as much um, as far as the field goes. But I know we do have to put it up on some events. It just makes more sense, and it becomes, a, I think, more of an interesting wagering option to people when they're going to get a lot more players uh, in a certain event. But uh, but I love being able to list as, as many as we possibly can in every sport. Chuck, do you get many large wagers on say a golfer you know for these uh you know the these these golf tournaments or is it just more okay it's more the casual player that may put down 10 20 100 bucks or whatever or are you seeing you know six figure you know bets that hey i'm 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 on john rom or whatever what, what is that how, how does that well, equate because as we know with with team sports i mean you'll you'll take a lot of sharp action on that Right. Well, I mean, again, this is more of a future bet. So, yeah. you know, you're, you're getting a, a price. It, and especially now, T, that there's so much competitiveness in, in golf where there's so many young, talented, you know, golfers that, you know, every tournament, it seems like it's another guy that's emerging. Um, that, yeah, you see a lot of good size wagers. I think the wagering on golf has increased, you know, so much over the last decade or longer. Um, it, it becomes a, you know, kind of a huge event for us that we're looking at, like, say, the Masters on, on Sunday. Uh, we have the potential, I think, to win more or lose more than any baseball or basketball game or hockey game that would have been played on that day. Chuck Esposito joins us over at Red Rock. Uh, talk a little Masters betting uh, tonight, Chuck. Uh, the NBA playoffs uh, not officially start because we've got the play-in tournament first, but we do have uh, two games. And are you a fan, first and foremost, of this play-in you know, situation where you got uh, eight and nine playing basically, you know, you know, winners in, loser has another shot and the same thing, you know, with uh, nine and 10 playing each other. And then, you know, for this to go on for a couple of days and then the real playoffs will start on Friday. IMT because, you know, the more stuff that, again, that we can book 
And, you know, there's such a correlation that we've talked about many times, being able to watch an event and wagering on an event. And, of course, these are all going to be, um, you know, on TV, and you can you can watch these games. And it's just like, you know, the playing games for uh, the college basketball tournament. When you've got those added games on Tuesday and Wednesday, same kind of premise here. And, yeah, I'm definitely a, a fan of it. And, um, you know, especially when you've got the Lakers involved right now. And um, I think, I, you know, as, as an industry, they got healthy a little bit at the right time. And, you know, there's definitely some liability, uh, you know, on the Lakers, I think, to win it all. So um, most people are rooting against them. But, uh, but I think it's great having uh, the, the set of games both on Tuesday and Wednesday. All right, so the games that tonight, obviously, you got Minnesota and you've got the Lakers. Uh, you know, with everything that transpired with the Timberwolves, with Rudy Gobert being suspended and Jane McDaniels, you know, breaking his hand and all the other stuff. I mean, I would imagine you're going to see one, a lot of one-sided money coming in on the Lakers. We know that the line moved up a couple points in the last 24 hours or so. Uh, talk a little bit about where that action is right now. Uh, you're right. I mean, it, it has gone up. I mean, coincidentally enough, though, the, the T-Wolves are 8-4 and four without Rudy Gobert. Um, so, I mean, when you, when you look at what they've averaged per game and their win-loss record, it's not horrific without him in the lineup. Um, granted, the money has come in, you know, that way, both straight, parlay, a, a lot of money line action on the Lakers, kind of tied to some of the bigger uh, money line favorites that you see, in, especially in the NHL and MLB today. Um, so we're T-Wolf fans. There's no question about it. On the, on the early game, Hawks Heat, actually good, you know, two-way action, a little bit more money line play um, on the Heat. But as far as straight and parlay, um, you know, pretty close. But when you look at, you know, ticket counts on the Lakers and uh, – um, it, it really favors the Lakers uh, pretty dramatically, especially with some big favorites, as I mentioned, in hockey and baseball today as well. All right, speaking of hockey, Golden Knights uh, at home tonight against the Seattle Kraken, coming down to crunch time here in the regular season. Chuck, talk a little bit about that game tonight. Let's talk a little Knights. Yeah, I mean, I know they have a lot of guys out. I mean, they're close to clinching what they have to do. And, you know, uh, being Knight fans, it's going to be weird saying this, but Man, I, I think we're all rooting for the Abs tonight as well um, to kind of knock off Edmonton and, and give Vegas an opportunity to kind of solidify that, that that number one spot. So I think it's a season that after last year where they didn't even make the playoffs has been a surprise to everybody. Um, you know, the system that, that they play right now really helps protect the goaltending. They've been out without Mark Stone for an extended period. He's been back on the ice right now. And I, I like Cassidy's system. I think it's a, I think the Knights are better than what a lot of people give them credit for. Um, I think they quietly this year kind of had a, a few little spurts there, but to be in a position to be the number one seed in the West, I think after not making the postseason last year, having the issues at goaltending with, with what happened with Leonard not, not playing this year, and then having your captain and Mark Stone out, um, you know, basically for over 50% of the season, I think they've done a great job, and I think they're, they're kind of a sneaky good team. Um, interesting matchup would be, of course, in the second round, having to play against Edmonton and the firepower that they bring, um, but I kind of hope that happens, and again, rooting for the Knights from a fan's perspective, from the business side of it, maybe they win tonight, but only by one goal, but let's get the abs <laughs> to knock off the... Uh, um, the Oilers, and I think that's uh, you know a good thing moving forward. Yeah, Stone uh, back at practice, uh, so I don't know if we're going to see him uh, tonight, but uh, definitely. I don't think tonight. I yeah, think it's right. more postseason, and probably yep. you know maybe at the earliest the, the second series. Um, you know, I'd heard it would be more of the conference championship, but the fact that he is back on the ice, maybe it's that that second series. If the Knights get through the first one, um, you know, if, if it plays out against Edmonton, I think that would be a. Uh, a really important series uh, to have the captain back. Brossois uh, scheduled to be in goal tonight for the Knights. The Knights a dollar fifty-five favorite, give or take, uh, against uh, the Kraken. And uh, you know the Kraken, uh, very very impressive uh, performance by them uh, throughout the season. Uh, do you do you see this team doing any damage in the postseason? Yeah, I think they're you know they're a young, fun team and and, and kind of a a much different approach than VGK. I think the uh, the approach for VGK would have been eerily similar to the Krakens, but they had so much success early on. It's a Kraken team that maybe has, has fallen off a little bit from where they were earlier in the season, but, hey, they've won five straight games. They're only two points behind the Kings, um, So I and they play, you know, home and home against the Knights. Um, they're a fun team to watch, you know, and, and I think that, 
this young nucleus. They kind of did it the right way um, through the draft. They, they've got, you know, a rich farm system coming up. And uh, I'm kind of glad to see them uh, in the postseason, to be honest with you, T. Yeah, you talk about, you know, they got off to a great start and they kind of slumped a little bit. But, man, they're getting hot at the right time. They've won five in a row. I mean, this team can score, Chuck, as we know. I mean, this this team is 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 one of the top uh, – goal-scoring teams in the NHL. And uh, I know that the last time they faced off, uh, the Kraken defeated the Knights. So it'll be interesting tonight to, to see what happens at, at T-Mobile uh, as we uh, get ready to, you know, get ready. We're looking forward to the well, playoffs, but we want to see the Golden Knights finish strong here. Yeah, you have to remember, too, I mean, the Kraken do have a game in hand against the Kings, yeah. and they only trail the Kings by two points right now. Right. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens if they're able to kind of um, – to plant the Kings uh, or not, and uh, ended up being the third team in the Pacific. All right. Uh, talking a little hockey, talking all things uh, betting here with uh, Chuck Esposito. We talked about, uh, you know, the play-in games. W- going back to the NBA here real quick, uh, you know, Chuck, we have series prices up, you know, right now for the the series that are in place. So you use the Warriors as an example. Uh you know, even though that they are the sixth seed, they're playing a third seeded team in the Sacramento Kings. Uh, the Warriors are a substantial favorite here, right around what two fifty or two sixty or so. Are you seeing you know much money coming in on either that series or any of the other series since you posted them up a couple of days ago? Yeah, I, I think when you look at the series prices, T in the in the NBA, um, they're definitely you know getting some play. And you're right about the price there um, for the Warriors. Um, you know, they're I think they're the the third highest price, um, but I mean the Kings were a, a huge surprise um, this year. Uh, ended the longest playoff drought of any team, which now I believe happens to be the the Jets. Um, but the Kings, you know, they they kind of limp into the postseason a little bit, losing three straight games. But for them to finish third out west, I think was a huge surprise to a lot of people. But it is the Warriors, and we know how good they are. And my guess is you're going to continue to see that series price um, tick up a bit before they start that series. All right, Major League Baseball. The story right now is the Tampa Bay Rays. Chuck, uh, they're ten and zero. They're playing some impressive baseball, uh, leading the league with 25 home runs. They've struck out the fewest amount of times. Still, no one's going to their games. They're still averaging about 13,000, uh, you know, uh, fans there, but, you know, kind of a mirror image of, of the A's situation, you know, looking for a home and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, to put it back, you know, on the field, this is a pretty exciting team to watch. And I don't know how much action that you've, you've gotten on the Rays on a daily basis or if you've adjusted any of the World Series future prices yet for a team that starts off 10-0? and 0. Yeah, we have. And, you know, the public backs them on a daily basis, T. Um, when you're 10-0, and 0, they're, they're like an automatic kind of throw-in to every parlay across the board. I mean, in that 10-0, and 0, they're 7-0 and 0 at home, but they're also 3-0 and 0 on the road. Um, you know, they play Boston tonight. They've got McClanahan on the mound. Um, they're really good. I mean, they, they, they do it unconventionally. Uh, their starters have gone a little bit longer this year than they did last year, but a lot of times it's kind of by committee, um, and they just play really well. I mean, it's a shame that they don't get um, more fans and give people an opportunity to see them play, but uh, they're a really good team. They're, they're fun to watch, and, uh, you know, the, the betting public backed them pretty much on a nightly basis, T, where one of our bigger decisions really is that you're trying to knock off uh, the race. All right, Chuck Esposito over at Red Rock. All right, Chuck, it's never too early to talk football, as we know. And uh, the the draft is right around the corner. I know it is personally one of your uh, favorite nights of the year. You guys do a fantastic job, and you put a lot of time and effort into putting you know promotions together, props together, and just you know wanting people to come on out. Uh, talk a little bit about what is in the works for you guys, not only at Red Rock, but any of the other station casino properties for NFL draft night coming up here at the end of the month. I think it's more the, the, the prop side of it, T, that we're, we're looking at putting a bunch of different props on the board. Um, there's so much kind of buzz around, you know, would there be four quarterbacks taken with the first four picks? Um, and they're going to see a lot more kind of wheeling and dealing and, and trades that, that happened this year than maybe you've had in the past. We already had the blockbuster with Chicago and Carolina, with Carolina trading up to number one. You've heard anywhere from it being, you know, um, Will Levis to – um, you know, to uh, C.J. Stroud, um, to Young with the number one pick. I really think that it, it's going to be Young with the number one pick to Carolina, and I'd be surprised if Stroud um, didn't go number two. 
But I think that's where it gets interesting with teams, um, you know, looking to trade up with Arizona at three uh, to get a Richardson, to get a Levis, um, to get one of those quarterbacks. So I think there's going to be a lot of movement. And if you're Arizona at three, you are sitting in a really good spot right now. Um, but look for probably by the end of the weekend, um, you know, a few pages of uh, different props that we'll have on the board for the draft. What about draft props in regards to the Raiders in that first selection at seven and what they do with it? Yeah, we're going to have some stuff up on the Raiders as well. Um, what we normally do is we pick a, you know, probably about a good 15 to 20 teams and what will their first selection be? Um, you know, we're not going to do it with Carolina. You know that their first selection is probably going to be a quarterback and, and some of these teams, but where there is a little bit of a question mark with what teams will do, um, you know, I think it's an interesting, interesting prop that's on the board where you list like, you know, five, five positions, and that'll be the case with the Raiders. You know, uh, they definitely could use some help in the secondary, and they definitely could use some help on the offensive line with some of these big names that are out there. And would they roll the dice and be one of those teams that maybe trades up? Or if, if Levis or Richardson drops, um, are, are they a team that, that makes that decision? We know they've signed, you know, they've traded for Garoppolo and, or signed Garoppolo and Brian Hoyer. So you've got two, you know, Patriot guys that, that um, they're really familiar with that system. Um, but uh, uh, I think the Raiders, what they do at number one is going to be interesting. If I'm, if I'm, a, if I'm the Raiders, uh, I'm trying to help out on defense. I think in that division, with as good as those other three quarterbacks are, I think you need to get some help on the back end, and that's what I'm doing if I'm the Raiders. It, it's either, um, you know, I could see it being Gonzalez or, you know, or, or Porter um, with one of those picks, but that's just me. But I think if you're a Raiders, you really need to get some help on the defensive side of the ball, especially the back end. And, you know, they're one of the teams, T, that has talked to Carter, Jalen Carter from, uh, from Georgia. We know he slipped with some of the off-field um, issues. Um, but, you know, do you pass on a guy that, you know, a couple months ago was the consensus kind of number one pick outside of a quarterback? Um, do you make that move as well? Wow, we got a lot of draft to talk about here in the next couple of weeks. Chuck, we appreciate the time. As always, my friend, we'll let you get back to your cheese, your crackers, and uh, everything else that you're eating back there, my friend. <laughs> Go Bears! All right. Thanks, boys. Great Have stuff, a great man. one. We'll see you soon, All buddy. Right. Thank you. There he is. Thanks, man. Chuck Esposito over at Red Rock. Get the STN mobile app, too. So easy to use. And again, all of those props for the draft. You can uh, wager on the app. All right, got Major League Baseball. We got the NBA playing tonight, and then of course we got the playoffs and a whole lot more exciting time. I want to thank Scott Savloff talking recapping Masters with us. TJ Reeves talking Tampa Bay Rays, the undefeated ten and zero Rays. All right, and of course Chuck Esposito over at Red Rock. Numb Chuck on the other side of the glass. Yours truly here, back at it again tomorrow for a Wild Wednesday edition. Go to the website if you miss anything at tcmartinshow.com. Get caught up to date on the interviews. Check out our NBA preview at the, the front. And also our interview yesterday with Aces president Nikki Vargas uh, live from the WNBA draft yesterday, the Aces draft party. Have yourself a good one. We're back at it tomorrow at 2. 